like to welcome everyone to West Irwin Church of Christ this morning. It's good to see a, a, quite a number of people gathered here in our auditorium this morning. We welcome especially our guests, and we want you to know that uh, we would love to visit with you following our services, and we welcome you back at any opportunity you have. If you're live streaming with us from home, we want you to know that we're grateful that you're participating in this worship with us. At this time, if you would, please stand. And we'll sing a wonderful Savior. Oh, wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. Oh, wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, where rivers of pleasure I see. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock, that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love.
Good morning. Glad to see everybody here today. Uh, we got a pretty good crowd this morning, comparatively speaking. Uh, something I wanted to remind everybody of is our church app. I know some folks don't have it, uh, and that's okay. But if you do have it, would you do us a favor and check in on that app? You don't have to do it right now, just sometime today. Uh, the folks on uh, uh, watching on the computer, if you'd do the same thing. That way we have an idea of uh, where we're at, what we're doing, and who we're doing it with. Uh, I got an announcement this morning from the elders. You know, the Bible is filled with stories that of people that have suffered hardships and uh, tragedies. Some suffered through no fault of their own, like Joseph, being sold into slavery by his brothers. Over my life, I've met many people that have suffered tremendous tragedy. Some of them I've met through personal contact, some of them through the church, and some from my job. It seems to me that people that suffer through these tragedies either come out the other side either stronger or they seem to never recover. I heard one man describe it as they either come out bitter or better. At the beginning of this year, we had a vision and plans for 2020. After seven months, it seems to me that God had a different plan from ours. A virus arrived around the beginning of 2020 that has caused us to change the ways we've done many things. The way we do communion is different. The way we fellowship with each other is different. No hugs, no handshakes, no seeing the smiles of our brothers and sisters. I don't know if we can call this exactly a tragedy, but I do know that many people, including many of us here, have suffered over the past few months. Many have lost income. Some have lost family. Others have been unable to see family members. Last week, the elders got a phone call. Some of our folks wanted to get together this morning before church just to visit. Also, there was a desire to have the teens class and college class. We thought it was a good idea, and we encouraged them to do that, and we think they'll do it again next week. The elders have had many discussions about when we should begin a full schedule of activities always weighing the needs of the church and the needs of the community. We have, in the past, and continue to, seek God's guidance and blessings. We know that he will provide. We have put our trust in the Lord, and we believe in this church and our people. So on September 6th, we will be back with a full schedule of classes and worship. We don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but it's coming. I also want to say that the elders are committed to bringing a youth minister to West Irwin as soon as the right man for us and the youth can be found. Better days are ahead but we need all hands on deck. And I want to say that again. We need all hands on deck as we continue through these stormy times. The elders want to thank each of you for your prayers and support as we strive to be a better church, not bitter, because of the struggles we've experienced over the past few months. Let's pray. Our most holy God, we humbly bow before you to honor and praise you, to proclaim you 
as the one and only God, to worship you because of your love for us, to thank you for Jesus and the sacrifice he made in giving his life for us, to thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to thank you for your promise of an eternity of no pain or suffering, but filled with joy and peace. Father, we're going through some difficult times right now. Many are suffering from loss of income, medical issues, even just fear of what lies ahead in the future. Bless our work as we begin a full schedule in the weeks ahead. Make our efforts successful so that our family here will be encouraged and motivated. Help us to see the needs of those around us and be willing and able to fill those needs. Father, we ask that your spirit would strengthen our belief in the promises you've made. We pray that your word would become within us, as with Jeremiah, a burning fire shut up in our bones. Help us to recognize the spiritual warfare that Satan brings upon us and help us to clothe ourselves with the armor you provide. Give us a spirit of unity and a bond of peace with each other. Create in us clean hearts to make us worthy of your calling. Help us to see our own imperfections before we criticize the actions of others. And may we be quick to listen, slow and thoughtful in responding, and even slower to anger. May we dwell on your word and to use them as our example of how we are to live. We love you, Lord, and in all we do, we give you the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember the uh, old movie that they show a lot of times uh, around Christmas time called It's a Wonderful Life? Um, 
There's a, there's a great scene in that movie where George Bailey comes into the building and loan uh, place and starts to talk to Uncle Billy. And it's after Harry has gotten married. And uh, he looks down at Uncle Billy's finger, which has a string on it. And uh, as you remember, that's uh, part of the plot of that story is the memory of Uncle Billy. And uh, he tells Uncle Billy, uh, you can take that string off now. Even though he had forgotten why he was wearing it, he said, you can take that off. Uh, as I get older, I, uh, I feel more and more like Uncle Billy. I have a watch that uh, I can set an alarm on. And uh, I do that often to remind myself to do something. The problem is that sometimes when it goes off, I cannot remember <laughs> what it was that it was set to remind me of. God, God made us. God knows that we have a problem with memory. And uh, so from the beginning with his people, he has talked in his word about reminders, about remembering. Uh, in Joshua, the fourth chapter, it says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. And then, he said, In the future, when your children ask you what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And the problem was that the people still didn't remember. Maybe it's because they were too far away from the reminder. You remember in Exodus, the 20th chapter, the fourth commandment, is remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And not only could the Israelites not remember to take the day off, they couldn't remember that the day was a day set aside to remember God. Paul reminds us of the church of Jesus' words in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my, of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then in Acts, the second chapter, um, it says that the early disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then later on in that book, in the 20th chapter, Luke, Luke writes, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Why do we come together on the Lord's Day? Certainly one of the reasons is to remember. To remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us, a sacrifice which makes our life worth living and which makes our eternal life possible. This communion service that we engage in at this time is the way that we remember that wonderful, marvelous sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross of Calvary. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the way that you've made us. We thank you that you have given us memory. 
we thank you, Father, that uh, Christ uh, died for our sins, and we thank you that we have the hope of life eternal because of that. And we thank you that we have this communion service each week where we can remember that he made this sacrifice for us. And so as we partake of this bread, help us to remember his broken body and uh, that we might do this in a way pleasing to you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. bow again as we pray. Father, we thank you for this cup that we can partake of that reminds, of the, reminds us of the blood of Christ that was shed for us that we can be cleansed from our sins. Help us to remember this and to live faithfully before you and to do this in a way pleasing. In the name of Christ we pray. number of ways that uh, the elders have uh, made possible for us to uh, give of our means to uh, further the, the work of the church here, and uh, we encourage you to do that. There are plates in the foyer that you can drop a uh, contribution in this morning and many other ways, several other ways that you can do this. So will you bow as we give thanks for our blessings. Father, how grateful we are for the things that you've done for us, not only for our uh, spiritual life, but for our physical life, for the way you show your love to us every day and the blessings that we have, for the great nation that we live in and for the way that uh, you've given us to earn money that we can enjoy the blessings that we have. And we pray, Father, that you will help us be good stewards of the things that you've given to us. Help us to love you and to give back to you, showing that love. And uh, help us, Father, that we uh, can do that in a way that is always pleasing to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.
today and next Sunday will be the last two messages in this series on the Lord's Prayer. I hope that you have been helped by that and encouraged and challenged. I've had several mention, as we talked about at the very beginning of this series, that they had not heard a series of sermons on the Lord's Prayer before in uh, the, their Church of Christ background. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that this has helped and challenged and encouraged and uh, I'm looking forward to next week, not because it's the last sermon in the series, um, but because of what it is. Uh, some of the manuscript evidence and some of the translations in the Lord's Prayer with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And what I'll say next week, next Sunday morning, unless the Lord comes between now and then, which would be great, is um, asking the question, is there a more needed statement or message than that in our world today? That thine, God's, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Even today, even right now, even in the midst of all that we have been through, all that we're going through, all that is ahead. God is sovereign. And as our shepherd Ken shared earlier, message from the elders that we believe very strongly then that God is sovereign and that he will continue to lead and guide and challenge and provide. And this morning, that he will continue to protect as we look this morning towards the end of this great model prayer that Jesus gave us, that Matthew records in chapter 6, Luke in chapter 11, we come to this verse, Matthew 6, verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Last week, we were able to look at the first part of that, the prayer, the request that God would Lead us not into temptation, that God would be our guide. And we reminded ourselves of that great passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says that we will never suffer temptation beyond what we can actually bear. God has promised that, and he is faithful and will always provide the way out, the way of escape, so that we can stand up and be provided for and faithfully walk through those temptations. We just don't sometimes, and that's why we needed a Savior, and that's why we celebrated the great sacrifice of Christ a few moments ago. Today, we look at the second part of that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I like what Ken shared about the contrast between responses to the temptations that we face. To either be bitter or to be better. Because the temptation part is going to come. Even though we pray, lead us not into temptation, we know that that the answer to that sometimes is going to be no. Sometimes God is going to allow us to be led into temptation, but he's always going to provide a way for us to make it through. But as we look into those temptations, what Satan is really trying to get us to do is to be bitter. It's to be bitter toward God, to be bitter toward his people, to be bitter toward his church, to be bitter toward his word. Because of the ways that God doesn't act like we think God should act. (laughs) Lead us not into temptation. When that temptation comes, it's Satan's goal for us to respond with bitterness. But there is the second part of this statement. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or deliver us from the evil one. Translations translate it both ways. And that is the prayer to God. 
that as we face temptation and as we face times of testing, that we will allow God to work through those things to make us better rather than giving in to Satan's call to become bitter. And so today we see God as protector, delivering us from evil, delivering us from the evil one. And so the first thing we have to say today is that evil, Satan, is real. We can pretend that's not the case. We can say that everybody has a degree of good in them, which is true. We can say that good will triumph over evil, which ultimately, in the long run, also true. But in the short run, not always. And so we turn to 1 Peter 5 and are reminded from the Apostle Peter how strong and powerful and real Satan is. And what his goal is, what his purpose is, what his desire is. His desire, again, is to move us away from God. His desire is to eat us up, to literally devour us. Satan is real. Evil is real. And so we pray for God's deliverance. In 1 Peter 5, these words beginning in verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. A very similar statement to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaken you except that which is common to humanity. That's the statement that Peter makes here as well. Verse 10, And the God of all grace, who called you to his glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen peter ends this little paragraph with a statement of doxology a statement of praise to glorify god and that's how we will end this series on the lord's prayer next week as well but as he begins this passage in verse 8 he calls us to be alert he calls us to be conscious to be aware To be of sober mind, because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And if we put our head in the sand and say, that's not really true, that Satan really isn't real, that there's really not bad and evil in the world, then we are not being faithful and we're not being biblical. The whole reason Jesus came is because Satan and evil are real. And because we are tempted and because we do fall into that temptation and sin at times. But the prayer is that God deliver us from evil, that God be our protector. And he has promised us that he will. He has promised us that if we choose to, we can be better and stronger, even because of the difficult and hard things that we experience Because he can deliver us. Satan seeks to devour us and to turn us away from God and make us bitter. But God uses the exact same incidences and situations and experiences in our lives to make us better, to make us stronger, to bring us actually closer to him rather than farther away. Scripture is filled with examples of Satan trying to draw a wedge between God's people and their Lord, between God's people and each other. And yet, time and again, we see examples where God uses that exact same incident and instead brings them closer. Oh, Satan is very real. Evil is very real. And it is here, right here in River City. (laughs) right here in the city of roses. And we recognize that. We recognize that Satan is real and that evil is here. 
And so we pray. We pray to the one who is greater than we are because we can't overcome that on our own, but we can overcome that evil with the help of God. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That evil that is all around us, that that roaring lion who is using every possible means to turn us away from God, to turn us against each other, to cause us to sin, and to lose the relationship that we have with our Savior. We pray for God to act, for God to deliver us from evil. And so the second thing this morning is this, God's deliverance is real. Just as surely as Satan is real, evil is real, God's deliverance is real. And I want to say what that means in just a minute, but first, what that doesn't mean. What that doesn't mean, and I want us to be reminded of that incredible 22nd Psalm. This is the Psalm that that Jesus was thinking of when he was dying on the cross. This is the psalm that starts out in verse 1 with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's that verse, Psalm 22, verse 1, that Jesus quotes on the cross, and I think it's because he felt forsaken and abandoned by the Father, and because he felt all the things that this psalmist was struggling with as well. It was a very human expression, and in this psalm, as we read in Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, the psalmist says this, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. I believe the psalmist was experiencing those kinds of things. Later on, the psalmist would talk about how God had delivered him. But what this deliverance of God does not mean is that it doesn't mean that we will never suffer. It doesn't mean that everything will work out exactly like we want or exactly even like we think it should. But that doesn't mean that God's deliverance isn't real. Because in the midst of that environment, in the midst of that test and temptation and difficulty and suffering, God's deliverance is real. It's real, and we think of passages like Mark 15 that quote from this very statement, but it's not Jesus quoting, and it's not the the apostles quoting. It is the mob that's quoting, and they don't even realize they're quoting it. As Jesus is hanging on the cross and dying, they're mocking him, and they're using these exact words. Hey, Mr. Big Shot, why don't you come down from the cross now, and we'll believe you. Let God rescue you. God delivered Jesus that day, but he didn't deliver him from death. He didn't deliver him from suffering. He didn't deliver him from the mocking and the ridicule and the pain. But it doesn't mean that his deliverance wasn't real. His deliverance was real. It just didn't look like what we typically think God's deliverance should look like. And sometimes it doesn't look like that for us too. Sometimes the answer to our prayers is no. Just as the Lord doesn't always keep us out of temptation, he doesn't always deliver us in this life from evil and the evil one. That ultimate deliverance is there, but Jesus himself said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble. And in passages like Matthew 10 and in other places, he guarantees them that some of that trouble will be brought on to you because of your faith and trust in me. At the beginning of John 16, he says, people may cause you to suffer, even take your life thinking that they are doing service to God. And so God's deliverance doesn't mean that we don't suffer. God's deliverance doesn't mean that he answers every prayer with a yes. How do you know that, Bill? Mark 14, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Son of God, praying to Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me. But what's the next thing he said? Yet, not my will, but yours be done. 
And sometimes God delivers us from the suffering and the difficulty and the hurt. And sometimes God delivers us through the suffering and through the pain and through the hurt. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But what that deliverance does mean. What it does mean is this, and we think of that great statement in Matthew 16, Jesus' interaction with his apostles saying, who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist resurrected, some say Jeremiah or Ezekiel or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus puts it on them and says, who do you say that I am? He puts it on us too. Who do you say I am? And Peter, in one of those remarkable moments where he gives in to the Spirit rather than trying to shut the Spirit up, says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirms him, and he affirms the statement that Peter said. And he says in verse 18, upon that rock, upon that rock of me being the Savior, me being the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's what God's deliverance means. It means that even though Satan is real, even though evil is real, even though he's walking around like a roaring lion trying to devour us, that he will lose, that he will not prevail that the church that Jesus built on the fact that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior, that church will stand and it will be victorious. Nations will come and go. Leaders will come and go. Money, health, popularity, all of those things will come and go, but it's the church of the living God that will last forever. The gates of Hades will not overcome it, will not prevail against my church, Jesus says. And so we turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and this great statement that reminds us that God will deliver us. Verses 1 through 5 of 2 Thessalonians 3. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us, the apostle says, that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, just as he brought that message to the Thessalonians for the first time in Acts 16 and 17 in that second mission journey. Verse 2, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. Pray that we may be delivered from them because not everybody has faith. Not everybody acts based on faith and trust in God. But the Lord is faithful, just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. He will strengthen you and protect you. He will deliver you, Paul says, and pray that he will continue to deliver us as well, that that word will continue to go out. Looking back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle continues that thought and shares it with the church at Corinth, not far from Thessalonica, both areas of modern-day Greece. 2 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, that far western part of what we would call the nation of Turkey. He's telling the church at Corinth in the southern part of modern-day Greece that, hey, we went through some troubles there as well. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. God didn't save Paul from that suffering. He didn't save Paul from that testing and that temptation to give up. To just say, you know, it's too much. Verse 
Verse 9, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. God's deliverance is real, and he brings us that deliverance. In chapter 12, Paul would talk about his own personal sufferings and say, but Christ gave me strength. He didn't take it away. That's not how he chose to deliver me. But what he did was he reminded me that his strength is perfected in my weakness. And he said, I'll go with that. It is well with my soul. Evil, Satan is real, God's deliverance is real. And so with the psalmist today, we trust and celebrate God as our protector. In Psalms 18 and in Psalm 34, the psalmist praises God for the deliverance that God brings and calls on us to remember God's presence and to give him all praise and all glory. And other psalms that you see there as well, and throughout the book of Psalms, we see time and time again of a suffering psalmist who praises God because of his protection, because of his deliverance. And it's so important for us to be reminded of that. For those who are online, we are so thankful that you're joining us today in worship. And we have so many that are here today physically present as well. And as Wayne shared, we need those reminders. We need those memorials. We need that touch in our lives that reminds us that what we see in the news, what we see on social media, what we hear from our neighbors and our family, that, that yeah, that all might be true, but it's not real from an eternal perspective. What is real from an eternal perspective is the deliverance and the sovereignty of God. And so we gather here today and we gather around this table to celebrate that memorial of the event that cannot be taken away from us. The salvation that comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for all of you watching online, if you're part of our West Irwin Church family, we welcome you and we pray for you and we want you to come back (laughs) when it's safe when it's right and for many of you that's not we're not there yet it may not be for a few to several more weeks but we want you to come back why because we need that we need each other even if we only see from (laughs) the top of the nose down we need that reminder from each other that's why god told us to come together to encourage one another, not just to be encouraged, but to be an encouragement to others as well. Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Anywhere with Jesus will be home sweet home. As we close today, we make this statement from Romans 4, Jesus was delivered to death for our deliverance from sin. We, we sometimes fail to remember that. The reason the father answered the prayer of the son in Gethsemane's garden with a no was for our sake, not his. Jesus was delivered to death for our deliverance from sin. Romans 4, he talks about the faith of father Abraham and and he makes this statement in verse 25. He was, Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So many times as Jesus was in his life of ministry, he would tell the disciples, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And he will be mocked and he will be accused and he will be killed. And on the third day he will rise again. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus was delivered to death for our deliverance from sin. And so what have I to dread? What have I to fear? 
I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus Christ. This morning, if we can help you do that, come as we stand, sing our song together. comes forward this morning with a few requests to be baptized into Christ. Um, Harry is a, a special person. He is a dear friend. He and I have a, a wonderful uh, relationship. And I've spent a, a good amount of time with Harry, and I will tell you, he can challenge you with a lot of questions. But that excites me and makes me happy. Um, he is a seeker. to learn more and more uh, from God's Word. And I want first to thank God. Thank God for His plan of redeeming man. And His Word um, that makes that possible. I want to thank uh, my wife, Sonia. She's my spiritual Priscilla anything about the book of Acts, there was a man by the name of Aquila. He had a wife named Priscilla, and together they shared God's word. And Sonia is so thorough and so good to fill in all the blanks that I so oftentimes miss. There's been a lot of times that the three of us have been in our car, and he'll ask questions, and she shares her thoughts, and she brings so much clarity uh, to his questions. I want to thank Bill, especially for the last few weeks, his lessons he's been teaching on the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, because he has helped to clarify a lot of questions as well. And Perry often talks about your sermons and how much they mean to him, so thank you so much. And then lastly, I just want to thank Harry. I want to thank him for his friendship. I want to thank him for his huge, huge heart. And I want to thank the family here, those of you who have already welcomed him so much because he speaks often about West Irwin Church of Christ. He says he's been to a number of churches, but he feels most welcome here. Most welcome here, and you don't know what that means to me, for someone to feel welcome. And he is excited. He has told me he is ready to be a part of this family. And so with all of that being said, I'm going to ask Perry to stand, and I want to ask him a, a simple, it's a very simple question, and yet it's a question that is so very, very important and probably the greatest question that he will ever answer in life. Perry, do you believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God? I know that you do.
Let's sing together, brethren. I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. I'm in the glory land way. Telling the world that Jesus saves today. For I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. I'm in the glory land way. Heaven is nearer and the way groweth clear. For I'm in the glory land way. Listen to the call, the gospel call today. Get in the glory land. better song could you sing than this one right now right before a baptism would you be free from the burden of sin there's power in the blood power in the blood would you or evil a victory win there's wonderful power in the blood there is power song, uh, and then we'll have our closing prayer. I know there are probably several of you who want to greet uh, Perry, socially distancing, of course, uh, but greet Perry and congratulate him on becoming a Christian and joining the body of Christ, and we're so thankful for what a great day it is. You know, I see on the clock it's 11.05. You know, there have been a few times during this uh, long pandemic I would have 
given $100 to attend a football game that went into overtime. Well, here we are in worship, and we've gone into overtime. Isn't this exciting? So we're excited that God has blessed us today. Bill, you had a great lesson. Let's all join together, if you don't mind, standing. We're going to sing the last verse of It Is Well With My Soul, and then I'll have the closing prayer. One and Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall thank you so much for this wonderful, blessed first day of the week in which we've had the joy and privilege of gathering together here to worship you in spirit and truth. God, I pray a special blessing on those who are uh, participating in our worship online, that you'll bless their homes and encourage them with this broadcast, that they'll be stronger and closer to you during this time of separation. I'm thankful for each and every person and each and every family that's here today in, in person. And we pray, Lord, a blessing upon each of them that we might grow spiritually to walk ever closer to Thee. I'm thankful, God, for our new brother, Perry, and the blessings of seeing his baptism. And doesn't it remind us, Lord, of the wonderful gift You've given each of us on that day when we, too, were baptized into You for the forgiveness of our sins. And finally, Lord, I thank You most of all for Jesus, who is our Deliverer. Help us always remember that in this week and in the days and months to come. In the name of Jesus, our Deliverer, our hope, and our Savior, we pray these things. Amen.